So, so far in this series, I think this is sermon number five, we have, we have gone through a couple of psalms that were thanksgiving and praise psalms. We've looked at one that was a psalm of confidence, speaking, confessing confidence in the Lord last week, and the one that Kevin took us through was a psalm of wisdom, and today is a psalm of lament. And if you find it odd that we're beginning the Advent season with a psalm of lament, let me say, so did I. I, uh, I prayed over this series. I prayed over which psalms we were going to do and what order they should be in. And I didn't really pay any attention to the calendar. And then when I got to this week and I started reading of how we were opening Advent, I thought maybe I should change these up. But as I began to study and read Psalm 43, the Lord just revealed to me, now this is the perfect place to begin Advent. And I hope that uh, the Lord will allow me today to, to teach this and preach this in such a way that you would see that same connection in Psalm 43. So if you are a note taker, let's go to the preaching guide and, and we'll, we'll dive right into these notes in this Psalm 43 that, that Kellen uh, just read for us. And Father, I do ask for the utterance of wisdom. I pray for the anointing to preach Your Word I pray to preach in Christ, and I ask that you would give us ears to hear, protect us from distraction, wandering minds and hearts, God, that that I know that we can all have at times, and I just ask that you would help us to focus, dear Lord, and hear your word, and I pray that we would hear and learn from you today, in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 43 shows us this at the top of your worship, God, in this life. You will suffer through injustice of various kinds. I'm just going to stop there for a moment. Unfortunately, that is just a life truth. I don't think anyone gets through this life without that being a reality. You are going to suffer through injustice. Being able to say at times, this is not fair. That will be true. It's not always true when we say that. But there are times where you will be able to say that with integrity. This is not fair. This is not just. And there are times where you will face such injustice that it will bring a very particular and unique suffering into your life. And I put there various kinds Because I think some of this injustice that you may face in your life may be, as the psalmist was facing, oppression, persecution, where someone is intentionally, intentionally oppressing you in an unjust way. But there are other types of injustice. There are offenses, personal offenses that people bring into our lives that they do to us. Some of them are intentional. Some of them are unintentional. Sometimes you will face injustice from ungodly people. Sometimes you will face injustice from godly people in the church. It is going to happen. And what this psalm is helping us to do, what this psalm is helping us to see, is what we must do when that injustice comes. So continuing on in your notes, you must see and cling to to God as your defender. 
You must see God as your defender and you must cling to Him as your defender. And church, this is the pathway to walk when you suffer injustice. And it is a narrow path that you will not want to walk down. Nothing in you is going to want to walk the way of Jesus when you are suffering injustice. Let me say it again. Nothing in you will want to walk the way of Jesus when you are suffering injustice. But it is the path that He has walked before us and it is the path that He calls us on. You must see God as your defender, not yourself. You must look up and see that He is your refuge. Look at Psalm 43, the first two verses. That is how the psalmist opens this prayer, this song. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. Now, we don't even know what's happening in this psalm. But there is some type of oppression that is happening to the psalmist from deceitful and unjust people. And he is crying out to the Lord, deliver me from this. And he goes on to declare in verse 2, You are the God in whom I take refuge. I am coming to you. I'm not trying to defend myself. I'm not trying to take up my own cause. I'm not fighting for my own vindication here. I am looking to you. You are my refuge. Now, I don't have time to go into today all of the ins and outs of what it means to look to God as your defender. It certainly doesn't mean that you're that you never speak up for yourself or that you don't speak truth in a situation or you don't call someone who has harmed you, that you don't bring them to justice or seek those who can bring them to justice if there are legal ramifications and crimes and things like that have happened. This call doesn't mean that we do away with those things. But what I'm trying to point us to is first and foremost, above everything, you look to God as your defender. Before you take any other step to try to defend yourself, to try to figure out how you're going to prove your innocence, before you do anything in that vein, you are looking to God as your defender and you are clinging to Him. You are looking to Him as your defender And you are moving toward Him as your defender. Now what does that look like? So if you have a Bible, go over to Romans 12 for just a moment. Because I I do think it's one thing, I do think it's one thing for us to say, yes, I'm looking to God to defend me. And maybe even I'm going to pray and ask God to defend me. But what does it look like to move in the direction of God being your defender? when you are facing injustice. Look at Romans 12. Look at these instructions. In your notes, I have verse 17. I'm actually going to back up to verse 14. Instructions to the church. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's an entire sermon, and all of it would be based on our need for the Holy Spirit because the, 
The Bible is calling us that when someone is intentionally persecuting us and cursing us, what we return to them is a blessing. We seek to bless them as they persecute us. It's the way of Jesus. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That is an important part of this. If you're going to cling to God as your defender, it means you're going to look to Him for wisdom when you are suffering injustice. You're not going to try to do it in your own wisdom. And then look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. That's exactly what we want to do when we're suffering injustice. We want to pay them back. We want to give it back to them. The same as they're giving it to us. But when we're clinging to God as our defender, that's not our first step. We don't repay evil for evil. Because we're trusting God. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Actually think about what would make Christ look beautiful in this moment? If possible, if possible, which means that it won't always be possible, but if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, even those who are persecuted. Beloved, verse 19, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He says very clearly, do not seek to get revenge. Leave it to God. The sin of that person, the injustice that you have suffered under them, it will be paid back one of two ways. Either they will come to know Christ And His blood will cover their sins the same as it's covered yours. Or, on the day of judgment, they will stand before Him. And they will face His wrath. And the Bible says, let that be enough for us. If we seek to get revenge, we're saying, what God is doing through Christ isn't enough. The Christ follower says, I will let it be enough. But He doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, just, just pull back, don't seek revenge, let God handle it. Look at this. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. My point in all of that is, It's sometimes really easy for us to say, I'm going to let God defend me. But when we're clinging to God as our defender, He's going to call us to prove that we are looking to Him as our defender. And those that Romans 12 passage shows, that may mean some really hard things for our flesh, but very blessed things for our soul. Because... When we refuse to seek revenge, when we decide on the contrary to overcome the evil being done 
to us by doing good. If, it, if at all possible, being at peace with everyone, we are being like Christ. We are showing Christ to the world. He blessed those nailing Him to the cross. He entered into this dark world, what we celebrate in Advent, to show people light and to do good to all of those who by nature were children of wrath. And by faith, by grace through faith, that we would become children of God. And He says to us, you want to follow Me? Count the cost. Pick up your cross and follow Me. You be ready to die to yourself just as I died for you. So, in this life, you're going to suffer injustice. You must see and cling to God as your defender. It's what we see at the beginning of Psalm 43. And I want to say to you again in your notes, if I could as a pastoral statement, you are simply not equipped to defend your own heart in a healthy way. You're just not, and I'm not. We think we are. We think we know how to defend ourselves. We think we know how to protect ourselves. And we're simply not equipped to do it. And when we try to defend ourselves, the tools at our disposal are not the things in Romans 12 that says on the contrary, to bless and overcome evil with good. The tools at our disposal is hatred and evil and unforgiveness and bitterness. In Hebrews chapter 12, I put that in your notes because I think it's such an important passage for us as believers. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Here's what happens when you and I try to defend ourselves. Eventually, because we're not receiving the satisfaction that we desire, we're not receiving the justice that we desire, bitterness begins to grow in our heart. And in the Old Testament, the bitter root was of unbelief, pulling us away from God. So as we try to defend ourselves and avenge ourselves in unjust situations, that bitter root is pulling us away from God. And it troubles our soul, but it doesn't just trouble us. It will spring up and cause trouble, and by it, many will become defiled. When you and I try to avenge ourselves, and in our hearts is bitterness and unforgiveness toward others, it's not just going to impact us. There will be people around us who will be caught up in that very root of bitterness. There will be people in our families that will be drawn in to our bitterness towards someone else. There will be people in our church drawn in and overcome by the bitter root that we have for someone else. It doesn't just defile us, it defiles many. We're not equipped to defend ourselves. God can do it in such a way that 
not only do we not see this, that many will not be defiled, but actually many will be blessed. Many will be blessed because they will see us walking the way of Jesus and they will glorify Him and they will say, that's how I want to live. We're simply not equipped to defend our own hearts in a healthy way. So, in your notes, take all your fears, your frustrations, and your discouragements to God with honesty, humility, and trust. When you are suffering injustice, you will feel afraid, you will feel frustrated, and you will feel discouragement. And Psalm 43 shows us God wants us to bring all those things to Him. And those three things in your notes, I believe that is what brings us, that is, that is the formula that makes up a lament. Honesty, humility, and trust. I haven't counted them myself, so I'm just sharing with you what I've heard others share, but over a third of the Psalms are laments. And if you read them, many times they kind of read like a complaint. It seems like the psalmist is complaining to God. Now there are other parts of the Bible that warn us about grumbling against God. And complaining about Him. So what is the difference between the kind of grumbling that happened to the Jewish people in the Old Testament and sent them into the wilderness for 40 years and the laments that we're shown in the Psalms that God invites us to enter into? And I think it's these three things. That we come to Him with honesty. We're honest to Him about how we feel. You're going to see that in Psalm 43. We've already heard it. The psalmist says, this is how I feel. He's honest about it. But what complaints and grumbling don't do are the next two things. Complaints and grumbling are really honest with God. They vent out their frustrations and their fears. But they don't do the next two things. One, humility. You come before God with your feelings, your complaints, Humbling yourself before Him, knowing at the end of the day, He is God and you are not. You're not bringing Him a complaint as an equal. You're not bringing Him a, a complaint as someone who needs to answer to you. You're bringing Him your honest feelings. God, this is how I feel right now. But you're doing so with humility. You're God. And I'm not here to just talk. I'm here to listen as well. Because you are God. You don't owe me an answer. But I'm coming to you with how I feel because I believe you will help me. And there's where the trust comes. Every one of those lament psalms, you will see. You will see the psalmist ending his lament with declarations of praise to God. Because he trusts him. A lament is you coming before God, being honest, being humble, and trusting him. I don't know where you fall on the on this line. Um, I imagine some of us are probably a little bit geared toward complaining without the humility and trust. We're just gonna. We're just going to complain to God and, and, and we forget the other two things. 
But I will say some of us, we might be in the place to where our thought process is, I should never go to God with how I feel. Because I've got to clean myself up first. I've got to get all my language just right. And you know what? Sometimes a lament is what we need. Sometimes we need to go before Him and lay our soul bare. This is how I feel, God. This is how I feel. I think the fact that a third of the Psalms are laments show us the value that God puts on His people being able to come before Him with honesty, humility, and trust and pour their souls out to Him. So take that and let's ease into the rest of the psalm. In your notes, knowing that in this life you will suffer injustice of various kinds, we got to go a little further down this road to say there may be times where your mourning or your sadness becomes paralyzing. And if allowed, unchecked, all the meditations of your heart and mind will become fixated on the injustice you're facing. The psalmist says in verse 5, he describes his soul this way, it is in turmoil and it is cast down. That cast down, that word literally means it's crouching. The picture is, he is filled with so much sorrow. He says it in verse 2, Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? That sadness that he is feeling as he faces this injustice. And what is that sadness doing to him? His very soul is cast down. His very soul is in turmoil. It's crouching. There may be times in your life, there may be seasons in your life where the injustice that you are suffering under is so great or feels so great that it almost becomes paralyzing to you, suffocating to you. It is hard for you to even get out of that spot. It is hard for you to enjoy the day. It is hard for you to get past that moment. And, and what begins to happen is the thoughts that you are meditating on throughout your day when you have time to just sit and think, your thoughts go to the injustice. Your thoughts go to the fear. Your thoughts go to the discouragement. And your heart does as well. And whether the meditation in your heart is, I want revenge, or whether it is just great sadness because you feel trapped and no way out. It is possible for the Christian to be in this place. So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in that spot where we can tell the bitterness is taking over? Where we can tell the injustice is getting to us and it is occupying more and more of our thoughts and it's occupying more and more of our hearts and maybe we recognize this is not who I want to be. Or even worse, we're not recognizing it. The Bible gives us in Psalm 43 a remedy to all of that. And it's in the second half of verse 5 in your notes. The remedy is hope in God. I want you to look at verse 5. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. That's the remedy. Hope in God. Hope in God is the remedy for the fear, the frustration, the discouragement you feel when you are suffering injustice in this world. Most of the world will agree you need hope. And the world will offer you many places to find hope. And I could sit here and give all types of examples. But I will trust the Holy Spirit to press that upon your heart of where maybe you typically seek to feel better and find your hope in the midst of the oppression you feel in this unjust world or unjust world. And I think there are created things that God gives us to help us when we're suffering and when we're going through dark times. You may find that just getting out of your house for a few moments and taking a walk in the sun stirs your soul. Do it. Do it. But what you must remind yourself what you must see is not the created thing as what's bringing you hope, but the Creator God that gave you that and is using that to stir your heart. Hope in God. Or you may find yourself in places at times where nothing helps. You've tried everything that you've done in the past to stir up hope in you, and it's not working. And that bitterness, that frustration, that sadness is turning into deep sorrow, even depression. And the psalmist says, don't look past this remedy. Hope in God. Hope in Him. Your Father, your Creator, your Savior, the person of God. Hope in Him. That's the remedy. And yes, I know the world would ridicule that. And there may be even part of us where we've been raised to think, Along those lines of, well, there are certain things I need to do to help myself first. And then I can go to God. Get that out of your thinking. Push that aside. It is hope in Him always. He is your defender. And here's a problem that we may face. The remedy is hope in God. But there may be times where this place you're in is so dark, this sorrow that you're in is so deep, that you don't even think God cares anymore. You think God has turned from you. Or you're so frustrated at Him because of what He has allowed to happen, you don't want to go to Him. And the lie in your notes, the lie that will war against you running to the remedy, the lie is, even God has rejected me. Here's the most honest part of this psalm. That God chose to be recorded 
in His holy word for us to read. Verse 2, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why? God, I'm coming to you. You, I have set you before me as my defender. Why have you rejected me? Now here's my question to us. Knowing the totality of the Bible and all of the gospel, has God rejected those who turn to him? No. What this shows us is sometimes it may feel that way. You may feel that way because of the depth of your circumstances and the oppression of the sorrow. You may feel that way because you have an enemy whispering that in your ear. Either way, it's a lie. And that's where the psalmist and that's where God is taking us through Psalm 43. God has not rejected you even when it feels that way. Is it okay to express to God in those times when you don't know where He is and you feel like He has abandoned you? He codified it in His Word. Yes. Do so with humility and trust, but that's what the psalm shows us. But the psalm is not going to stop there. The remedy is hope in God. The lie is even God has rejected you. If you believe that, if you believe how you feel, if you believe the whisper in your ear, you won't go to the remedy. You'll stop. You're not going to go to hope in God because you're going to start embracing the lie. God doesn't care. God's not moving in this situation. I don't, I don't really know why, but in this one area of my life, He's just not showing up. So you stop going to Him, your hope. And you can't do that. You must keep going. You must not embrace those feelings. Yes, take them to God. How else are you going to deal with them? The problem isn't expressing to God that you feel like He's rejected you. The problem is not expressing that to God. Or expressing it to other people instead of God. So, the remedy is hope in God in this paralyzing mourning and sadness. The lie is even God has rejected me. The enemy of your soul wants you to believe that lie so you don't go to God. So, what's the bridge? How do we get there? How do we get from through the lie to the remedy? The bridge that takes us over that rushing water to hope in God, that bridge is founded on prayer and exhortation. Prayer, number one, going to God. Go to Him. If you've been re- raised in a, in a kind of religious system that would say, I, I can't be that honest with God. I can't express to Him how I really feel like I've got to bury that because that would not be pleasing to Him. Let this psalm break down those walls. Not, again, for you to go to God as His judge, but for you to run to Him with how you feel. Pray desperately. Look at what the psalmist prays, verse 3 and 4. Send out your light and your truth, God, that they would lead me. Let them bring me to you, to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise You. 
Oh God, my God. See, he prays. God, I feel like you have rejected me. You are my refuge. God, send me light and send me truth. I am in the darkness. I am believing lies. Send me your light and send me truth and bring me to your presence because there I will have joy. I will have hope. We need that kind of prayer life and we need exhortation. Exhortation is a word we've talked about at the church so often. It's more than just encouragement. It's a deep encouragement. Sometimes it's an admonishment. Sometimes it it is, you just keep going on. Sometimes it's someone coming to us and saying, hey, I think you're headed in the wrong direction. It's It's a beautiful and deep word. But what I mean by it here is sometimes when you're in that place where the lie of the enemy and your feelings are God doesn't care, and you're not moving on to hope in God, you're not running to Him, you need someone to come alongside of you and exhort you and encourage you. Keep going and don't give up. And that's why the community of the saints is so important, and that's why it's so important for us to be transparent among one another. I've shared this with you before. just came to my mind just now. I will never forget the very first small group meeting Josh ever led. He stood up in the room and he said, here's the one thing that I want always to be true about a group that meets in my home. I I don't want any pretense. Let's be real with one another. Let's be transparent with one another. And over the years that he's led that small group, that's how he's always led. Because that's what we need in community. Put all that junk aside about going to church and dressing up really nice and you know putting, putting on your nice face. No. The community of God is real with one another. But that's not what Psalm 43 shows us. In Psalm 43, who is exhorting the psalmist? Himself. In your notes... There are going to be times, I'm going to scratch that, every day of your life, you must preach the gospel to yourself. Every day of your life, you must preach the gospel to yourself. Look at verse 5. He's talking to himself. Those of you who like to talk to yourself, here is your biblical permission to do that. Why are you like this? David, your soul right now. Why? Why, soul, are you being this way? Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? He's talking to himself. And then he tells himself, hope in God. God is your salvation. He is your God, my God. He's not some far away God. He is a personal God. He is speaking to Himself. He is preaching to Himself. I've shared the quote with you before. It's not an exact quote, but I love it. Paul David Tripp says, No one in your life is more influential on you than you are. Because no one talks to you more than yourself. So what are you saying to yourself? What are you preaching to yourself? When those moments come and the fear comes, the discouragement comes, the frustrations come, 
when you are suffering under injustice, when you are so angry at the person who's hurt you, when you want revenge so bad, when the bitterness is creeping up in your soul, when it has gotten to the point that it is paralyzing, and the mourning and the sadness you feel over what is happening to you is suffocating, and you don't know what to do, when you even feel like God has rejected you and nothing in you wants to go on to hope in God, what do you do? What do you say to yourself? Preach the truths of God to your soul. This isn't just, church, this isn't just systematic memorization. Well, I know that I know there's a verse that says this. No, 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 no. Preach to yourself. Take that verse and push it into your heart. Push it into your mind. The Bible says God is good. Soul, God is good. The Bible says, there's a verse that says, He will never leave me or forsake me. Soul, He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. Push that into your mind. I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know what that looks like for you. If you're a closet person, like, go to the prayer closet. If you're going to lay down on the floor on your face, if you're going to go outside and walk, if you're going to mutter to yourself out loud, I don't know what you're going to do. But do it. Preach it to yourself. And yes, you have to know the gospel to preach the gospel to yourself. So grow in your knowledge of God and His promises. But write them down and get them in your mind. And when the enemy comes, God has rejected you when you're suffocating under that morning. Begin to tell yourself those gospel truths and preach them and hold on to them. You need the exhortation of others and you need the exhortation that comes from preaching to yourself. So, agape, what does any of this have to do with Advent? I ask myself that question. Because Advent is about joy, right? Joy to the world. When do you feel the most joy? When you come through your mourning. When you come through your sadness. Why do we even need joy? and light because there is pain and darkness advent reminds us in your notes that the entire world groans under the darkness that results from sin it's what romans 8 tells us the entire creation from the beginning groans under the weight the curse of sin the darkness in the world what were all the saints of the Old Testament looking for light, the Messiah to come. When you get to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, there's a large period of time between that prophetic writing and the Gospels when Jesus, which record the birth and the coming of Christ. Several hundred years. We have no recorded prophecies during that time. Do you not think the people of God were wondering where He was? Have you rejected me, God? I'm suffering. Where is my help? 
They were lamenting. And then in an instant, in a dark field of shepherds with no light except the night sky, a heavenly light burst on the scene and proclaimed, do not be afraid, for on this day, the Messiah has been born. The light of the world. If you participate with us in Advent, the theme this week is Jesus is our light. If you go to the church app, if you go to the reading guide every day this week, every daily reading, you will see somehow reflects on Jesus as the light of the world. Go to the homepage on our app and go to the link. It will take you to the worship guide. Read all this week about how Jesus is the light and remember the darkness of the world and remember your own darkness. And remember, that's what Advent is. It's the coming of light into the dark world. And the light is Christ. In your notes, finishing up, Jesus is the light from heaven that leads us to joy in God. Look, look at verse 3 and 4 again. And I want you to ask yourself, is Jesus not the answer to this prayer? Send out your light. Who's the light of the world? Jesus. Send out your light and your truth. Jesus said He was what? The way, the truth, and the life. Let them lead me. This prayer became a person. Jesus. The light and the truth. He is the fulfillment of this prayer. Yes, we can believe that the psalmist God in that day answered him and encouraged his soul. But the ultimate answer to this is Christ. Let them, the light and truth, so we replace that with Jesus. Let Jesus bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. That's what Jesus does. He forgives us of our sins. And He takes us into the presence of God. And then, when Christ leads me, I will go to the altar of God. Yes, because He's the only way to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you. Jesus, the light of the world, brings us into the presence of God in the midst of our darkness. The psalmist started Psalm 43 saying, Vindicate me, O God. Literally it means, Argue me as innocent. Argue me as innocent. How are you and I vindicated? How are we argued? Do you, do you see what God did? Do you see what God did? The prayer is, vindicate me, O God. Vindicate me ultimately to who? To you. How did God answer that prayer? He vindicated us in Christ. God's argument before God for our innocence is our faith in Jesus. Which is why when the deans read the opening passage of Matthew 4, he brings in the prophecy of Isaiah 
those walking in darkness have seen a great light. And it says, from that day forward, Jesus began to do what? To preach. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. What does it mean? That's how you are led by the light and the truth. That's how you go to the holy hill of God. Believe on Jesus. He has brought the kingdom near to you. Believe. Repent of your sins. Trust in Him and you are vindicated before God. And in those moments where your sorrow and the injustice and the suffering of the world weighs on you so heavily that you say, God, have you rejected me? The cross says no. No. You have been vindicated. He is the light. He is the truth. Hope in Him. Keep going. Preach those things to yourself in your sorrow. Repent and believe. Repent of those times where you want to defend yourself. Repent of those times where you want revenge. Repent of those times where, God, I don't want to do it Your way. I don't want to bless this person. I want revenge. I want evil for evil. I don't want to feed my enemy. Confess that. Repent and believe. Believe the Jesus way is the best way. That's Advent. We are now the light of the world. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We look to His coming. We know He's coming again. And we show as many people this light by not avenging ourselves in injustice, but hoping in God.